Hi everyone, thank you for listening to another episode of Learning Out Loud. Today we're joined by Michael Bayer, a University of Virginia graduate and a fractional chief marketing officer with TechCXO. We discussed with Michael his thought process behind designing effective ad campaigns, the benefits of working with several companies for shorter periods of time, and the importance of staying intellectually curious. Enjoy. The first question that we've been asking most of the guests is if you can give us, you know, a two to five minute kind of flyover of where you started, I guess for you would be Virginia and then, you know, where you went after that and how you ended up to where you are today. Okay. Oh, so now I'm going. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hi guys. Good to see you again. Um, I guess if you say where I came from, uh, although I'm a Jersey boy deep down, since we met through the University of Virginia alumni network, I guess I began as a University of Virginia grad. Um, I think we may talk about it a little bit more later, but somehow I think I was born to be a marketer. I, I swear I remember as a as a kid, I used to sing the jingles. I talked about slogans. We used to stay to the end of the show to watch the ads at the end. Uh, Somehow or another, it was always an attraction to me to have, you know, kind of ideas. I think they're basically little ideas, little stories, and I've always been attracted to it. Um, And when I left college, I did. I got into advertising. And um, I like to say that I spent 25 years-ish on the agency side of the marketing business, um, taking a horizontal path uh, purposefully across all of uh, all of advertising because I really wanted to extract all the value out of it, and I suppose ultimately leave and go client side, uh, which which is what I did. So I spent um, probably almost twenty years in New York uh, working at big agencies on you know, foundational strategy strategic brands, packaged goods brands, Unilever, Nabisco, um, and uh, ended up then transitioning, moved, moved to Chicago uh, to a, in, in, in an independent, more forward kind of digital focused uh, uh, role. And then I even went to a media shop for a couple of years thinking that was rounding me out. Um, but I always knew I wanted to go run marketing, uh, and I uh, ended up getting an opportunity to be the CMO of a marketing services company in the Midwest. Uh, and it really was a true, fully loaded CMO-like job, because in many cases, when you talk to to folks who are CMOs or head marketing for agencies, often it's really focused on uh, you know, press, but also on running pitches and managing uh, inbound and trying to get into pitches. And while that was a component of this role, this really was a full-fledged CMO. I relaunched the, the company comp- comprehensively, new positioning, finally got them to update their website, developed a, a, a comprehensive marketing program around thought leadership and webinars and, and, and e-newsletters. And from that, I, I ended up spending the last, you know, for about ten or so years as a B two B marketing leader, um, and that has led me to what I'm doing now, which is uh, which is fractional 
CMO work uh, for a company called TechCXO. And as you guys know, fractional, um, I like to call it the Goldilocks solution for companies because um, it, it ends up being just right for for each company or or a partner I work with because you, you can you can scope it to exactly what your needs are. It can be built around a project. It could be built around a, a fraction of a, a week or a day. Uh, it can be uh, leading an internal team, or you could be the first marketing hire at a company. Uh, and I've been all of those, and um, I, I absolutely love what I do. Awesome. Yeah, so I, I think we can talk a little bit more about the the fractional aspect, because I think we all find that interesting in terms of what have you seen or learned just by having eyes on a couple of different projects or a couple of different companies at the same time? Do you feel like that's a better kind of pool of ideas to pull from when you're working on any one of them in particular, as opposed to being with one company for 10 or 15 or 20 years? I feel like before answering that question, it might be beneficial to explain like what tech CXO actually is. Um, Great. I'd love to. Um, so as I said, a fraction, the idea of a fractional C-suite executive, and I suppose you could be fractional at any level, but it tends to be more of an executive level. And we call it on an executives on demand. Um, it's been around for years. And in fact, the company I work for, TechCXO, was a pretty early uh, you know, progenitor of this idea over 20 years ago. In fact, this is our 20th year. Um, the idea of, especially with tech companies and early stage and startups, uh, they either, you know, many of them don't have the funds, uh, you know, to have a, to hire a full-time C-suite exec, um, but also, frankly, they may not need one 24-7. So the idea of someone coming in to help at certain important part points in their, uh, in their growth curve, um, whether it, you know, be a CFO who uh, helps raise capital, uh, you know, or in, in implement the first enterprise accounting system or software, uh, things that, 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 a, that a small team may not have access to. You know, somebody can come in and do that either for a short period or for, again, a, a fractional amount of time. So this has been around for a while, especially in, you know, in Silicon Valley and in startup culture. Um, I will say when I started doing this about two plus years ago, again, it had been around and there are some uh, some services out there, some companies out there focused on CFOs, CMOs, C whatever. Um, I joined TechCXO because they have the full C-suite. We have over 100 partners, again, across the full C-suite from CFOs to CTOs to CRO and CSOs, CMOs and beyond. Even We even have... Uh, human resource officers. Um, and we started, uh, like I said, 20 years ago, we were just CFOs. It was the idea was, um, in fact, it was called tech CFO. And the idea was you work with early stage companies and they're often, um, you know, run by some incredible, successful entrepreneur, uh, some brilliant engineer, some biochemist or physicist who comes up with something great, and they surround themselves with good people who can scrappily get somewhere. Um, but what always seems to be missing at some key point, again, if they're at a capital raise moment, or they want, you know, need cap tables done, or some things that like their, their uncle, the accountant may never have done before, um, they need a CFO. So we, we had CFOs who, fractional CFOs who would go and work with companies. 
And over the first 10 years, um, and we grew every year, but they kept hearing from the CEOs they'd work with like, hey, I really like this model. Do you have fractional CMOs or do you have fractional CTOs? Um, and so 10, 10 years ago, the company branched out to diversify and offer the full C-suite. And um, I, was, I was talking to some other companies, uh, you know, some that were focused on for, uh, fractional CMOs. And I, I actually consciously decided to, to go with Tech CXO because I love the idea of being able to partner across the C-suite uh, in some engagements and really solve complex, you know, big problems, big challenges for organizations. In fact, I'm in the midst of one right now with an early stage company focused on tele digital health. And we essentially are the C-suite of this company run by a really, you know, brilliant, uh, you know, doc doctor whose idea is to, you know, whose idea this is, but we're helping to create the conditions and the infrastructure and the strategy and the go to market and, and, and drive, you know, drive growth uh, for them. And we're doing it together as a team. And, and, I, and that would never have happened had I not been at a company that had this diversity of, uh, of expertise. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. Uh, I definitely was just interested in the company in general. So I'm glad that we got that overview. Sorry, you want to like ask you a question again? Yeah, yeah. So what I was what I was talking about before is just have you seen any, you know, working with other C-suite executives, but also working as a CMO for, you know, three or four different companies at the same time, just logistically, um, does that lead to any, you know, cross-pollination or ability to pull from one and bring to the other? When you're thinking about different, you know, you describe the marketing as little ideas that you're packaging. So when you package those up, are you packaging yeah. different sources? Uh, very, very smart question. Um, you know, there, there's, I don't think there's one that's better than the other. In other words, I think what you're saying is working at one company for a long period of time, is that better or worse? Is it better or worse to be diversifying and having it, you know, this diversity of daily, day to day, let alone, you know, over time experience? And I, I don't think there's a better or worse. I do feel like digging in uh, at certain points in my career, many, most of the early stage of my career, digging into one company and really driving, uh, you know, driving long term impact or long term change has, has, is, is great. But I do think there is something about this cross-pollination, first of all, of pulling from what you see and hear and learn in one place and being able to apply it more immediate with more immediacy in current engagements or with current problem solving uh, versus linearly, which is the way you would do it with a career diversity over time. Um, and then I think the second thing, which you you again astutely pointed out, is there is a sense of you can be. I think you learn faster this way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I I feel like at this point in my career, it's it's one of the reasons I have such gratitude about what I'm doing is that I, I you know a lot of people would probably be either resting on their experience and learning and education. I feel like I'm I've learned more in the last two years than I did in probably the you know ten before that. Um, because of this diversity of problem solving challenges and working with a lot of different people across different assignments. Um, 
that's one piece. And the other piece, which you, I think, referred to is this idea of you can almost start to productize the way you solve something. So if it's something you maybe you haven't done before and you create a solution, you start to refine it and it's almost becomes repeatable for you. I mean, that's, that's the classic consulting model is create right. a, pro, you know, productize a, you know, some sort of solution and then just, you know, ha hammer it out. But um, there is definitely an, a, an ability to do that. And of course, since you can't scale yourself, you don't want to have to start from scratch every time uh, to, you know, to be efficient. You, you do want to take what you've learned, take what you've created and, and begin to reuse and, and, and leverage. Yeah. Um, so you were saying how you think that the diversity is like the diversity of experience and projects um, like allowed you to learn a lot faster in the two years versus the 10. So how do you think that people can kind of like create that diversity in their personal life, like not just in their career? So how can how can someone add that add that diversity so that they could learn faster just in general? Hmm. I, I love that idea. I think that maybe and I'm going to guess that you are already somebody who's like this because of the fact that, you know, you're, you're a full-time student and you're also doing a podcast. And I have no doubt you're reading a lot and watching a lot and listening to a lot of other podcasts. I think that's part of it is just really leaning into whatever industry, uh, um, knowledge, uh, um, you know, intellectual pursuits you can, uh, you know, so I, you know, I subscribe to way too many e-newsletters. I sign up for way too many webinars, which, you know, frankly, I probably listen to one tenth of, you know, at two X speed on demand. But, uh, but I think that's one way is just, you know, and I've always felt this way about culturally too, like, like lean in, you know, get, get be, you know, be passionate, lean into stuff, you know, read, watch, do go out all that stuff i think helps keep your brain engaged and active but you know the other thing that would be surprising to most is i think career diversity is is a real weapon i think i think um i i call career diversity a superpower it's ironic in the i think among the recruiting world uh, you know, as you make your way, if you, you know, you get a full-time job and you make your way up through, through the ladder, uh, if you're going for a job, you will almost always lose to somebody who's done the same thing again and again and again and again. Uh, and I find that just the most backward thinking in the world. I feel like career diversity, you're much more likely to get somebody who is more nimble more diversified, so has a broader way to solve problems, has faced more and diverse challenges, so is more likely to to be able to bear up to, to, to all the crazy change we're going through versus somebody who's faced the same challenges for their career. I, I think, again, you adapt better. I think it drives innovation more. I mean, I, I have, I have you know, fairly late in my career, leaned into healthcare and healthcare marketing. And um, it's also been a, you know, a, a, a great, you know, a great rewarding, you know, move for me. Um, but I am new to healthcare in the, in the, in the world of healthcare, meaning there are lots of people who've been doing it for 20, 25 years. 
Um, and I think that was that that somebody with a, a, a I, I think that the amount of innovation we're seeing in healthcare right now is due to the fact that it has expanded, you know, it's been expanding who uh, who's who can be involved in it, and uh, it's adapting to approaches that have been um, taken on by other industries, and it's 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 changing and innovating. I think because it's not focused on how it's been doing things forever, and focused more on taking. Uh, taking cues and and uh, approaches from outside the industry, and I think you know so many industries can get stale by by not wanting or not not even um, accepting uh, people who've done a little bit more of a horizontal uh, approach to, to to the way they've built their career. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. So to the point of the the industry as a whole. Um, this is just my perspective, you know, kind of being outside of the industry, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but I always kind of felt that there was a little bit of a duality in the marketing world, wherein there's a lot of advanced stats and analytics you can use to decide, was this a good campaign or not? But at the same time, if you're trying to predict what would be good or not, it seems like it's really sometimes kind of random about what takes off. Like you think about big Super Bowl commercials or now you have a lot of you know viral campaigns here and there about it would, it would be hard pressed to say like this is a one that's really going to take off and have millions and millions of hits right. so how do you kind of balance where there's kind of an established way to do things um and that could be tv or newspapers and there's also a new realm of you can get super you know hyper specific about who you're targeting so how do you balance all the different ways that you can market and then a kind of traditional playing it safe campaign versus something that you're kind of trying to hit a home run and, and market to virality. That's a lot to unpack, Jake. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so I'll try to take a piece by piece because yeah. you're talk. I think you're talking about a variety of things. One being uh, uh, audience, understanding audience. How do you get to them? How do you target them? You're also talking about virality which generally is in regards to the message the content how you you know the the actual piece of of content and then and then there's the what platform and how do you leverage that platform yeah so let's peel it back a little bit so first of all i believe that there are that that it's very hard to do a pre-test of an idea and get a measure uh, 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 that, that, uh, of whether or not it will work. But there are lots of things you should measure to, to get you to the point of making the right message, meaning data around who you're talking to, um, understanding and some of this is subjective as well as countable quantifiable around what their problems what what their needs are understanding how they shop your category how they think about you and your competitors these are things whether it's quote unquote hard data or soft data um are you know non-negotiable to, to to creating in my opinion great content let's just call it um but the idea of that you know pre-testing will tell you the answer i think and i think you know 
used used um, uh, um, diagnostically, it can be very helpful. But I've worked with companies where it's used evaluatively, meaning there's some model number. We need to hit a number. If you don't get a four, you don't go live. If you get a, you know, but if you do, it's a great ad. And I don't I don't think that 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 creativity and ideas can be boiled down to that. But I do think asking people what they think and getting some, you know, diagnostic help is is a good idea. Um, with regards to how you reach people and how you deliver and when and how often, and I think all the manner of, of you know, I, I, like I'm a digital marketing enthusiast. Uh, you know, I think data-driven, follow the customer, you know, the, the term you'll hear everywhere, and you guys probably study it backwards and forwards in school is omni-channel marketing. And it's, it's, it's a buzzword and I hate buzzwords, but at the same time, and at the same end, it's also, I think, misused 80 to 90% of the time by, by people in the industry. Uh, and they throw around omnichannel because it sounds more advanced than multi-channel, but really they're just talking about multi-channel, meaning be in a lot of channels. But right. omnichannel really is a best practice, meaning have the marketing technology and analytics capabilities so that you can know who is hitting your website, is viewing an ad, and be able to deliver to them you know, the classic right message at the right time to the right person, et cetera. But really it's about delivering on their expectations. I mean, at this point, it's less about, you know, some cool thing to do as it is the, the, the audience's expectations. I mean, when you shop, you know, when you go on to whatever you, you, you know, you go into, uh, at, you know, at, at uh, Starbucks and you, refill your card you expect to be able to go online and see that your card is filled and if they sent you an email you expect them to say thanks for filling your card or not that your card is at your cart or whatever is empty uh these are things you expect now and so companies that don't understand that will ultimately be viewed in ways that are just you know out of either out of out of touch or just out of sync um it's not really it's you know very soon it will not be a just luck you know lucky strike extra it really is an expectation and I think about that with media companies you know I've worked with media companies and it's you know if you still deliver a, a, an experience that feels like you're a legacy print publisher but you're trying to deliver an online experience well guess what people are you know watching all their television on uh, you know on demand and on their computers and uh they they pull out you know they pull up their netflix uh user interface and it knows what they watched and they knows what show they're in the middle i mean these are things that people now have enough experience with uh that they are they expect it um so i don't know if that, i think i took your question and ran with it maybe a little far but um you know the idea of i, I guess what i'm saying is creativity now goes well beyond a cool ad um it goes to how you how you identify your audience 
get to them, reach them, engage with them, bring them to you, have you, you know, follow them, they follow you. Um, the delivery mechanisms and the follow through across various channels is really as creative and interesting to me as any Super Bowl ad ever was to be, to be totally honest. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So, so just to recap the, so that on the analytics part, that what you're saying is the data can put the ball in the hoop for you, but it can take you from trying to hit a half court shot to a free throw or a layup. And then in terms of the mechanism, if you're on a newspaper or a TV, you're shooting once or twice. And if you're on digital, then you're shooting a hundred times. You have a better chance of going in. Um, is that, is that, Sound accurate? I, I think that's good. Yeah. And I also think, you know, there's the idea that um, there's a, you know, the term inbound versus outbound. I mean, if you keep pushing out your message outbound, I mean, it used to be called push marketing. I mean, I think if you're a super high uh, involvement, beloved or luxury brand, you can interrupt people and you could show them a slice of life that they would like to have a part of those are you know that's acceptable but if you're a b2b brand or if you're you know an everyday brand i think you got to find ways to get people to come to you um, this idea of inbound create opportunities that and that's what digital does it allows you to create the conditions and the content and the assets and the, and the ecosystem that gets people to come to you and then also then you're able to know who they are at some level or recontact them or um you know engage further and further they you know call it lead like nurture people along and um i think that's that's the thing with digital yeah print you can push your ad out there and you know if you're you know pop tech philippe or uh you know great people you know will spend some time with you but um it's easy to ignore if you know if you, all you do is push right okay yeah that makes sense uh this might relate to having a lot of different experiences but how do you think that people can sell themselves and market themselves just as a person well we see it every day don't we influencers and and the like or micro influencers i like i like we we keep coming up with new terms micro influencer just means a real per regular person right i guess <laughs> who knows stuff about something um i think it's it's hard to really position or brand yourself as something if it's not authentic i mean i think you have to have something to say know some things or have a unique take um and and just get out there and, and do it and engage um i don't i don't i'm sure there are people who have shortcuts i guarantee if you googled right now you know how to be an influencer in you know seven days there's probably 10 million hits on that google search but i don't i don't know of anybody who, who uh who can do that without actually having having the intellectual property of you know or having the ideas that are worth sharing and the ability to engage and being authentic yeah yeah um okay so 
Did that answer your question? Or oh, is yeah. there something you were looking for? Yes. More specific? No, 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 that was good. Sorry. Yeah. So to that point about the the authenticity of the message, how do you relate if a company's been doing one thing for a long time and they're trying to pivot in another direction and you're trying to design a marketing campaign for that, then how do you balance what they've been doing versus what they're trying to do? Well, I mean, it comes down to, did they have uh, a, a brand positioning that was bigger than their product offering? And, you know, if they didn't, then that's obviously a problem because I would say the first thing you need to do as a brand is understand what your positioning is, your, what is your point of view? What's the kind of the story you're telling? It's not just, we make X, we, we either, we believe in something. That's why we make these products because it's to solve some sort of problem or it's, um, it, it, it's, it's a bigger audience driven solution uh, you know it, it can't just be that product and so the you know the pivot would only really work if this pivot still fit within this positioning or at least felt relevant to it um you know there's marketing history is littered with companies that line extended you know came up with new products outside their core products that had nothing to do with their core you know core product whether it's you know jello pudding coming out with i can't even remember but some ridiculous thing or uh you know things that that not only don't connect to a positioning but almost challenge it um right. that would be very hard to pivot um you know but at the same time i guess you know, you got, you know, well, well, to to that point, like so, something like a Netflix who who wanted to at some level, uh, you know, democratize or simplify the idea of being able to watch whatever you wanted to watch when you, when you wanted to watch it. And that began by saying, yeah, we'll send you the videos, the DVDs, and, you know, you just send them back and we made it super easy. And then like, oh, wait, DVDs don't exist anymore. What are we, what are we going to do? Well, we're doing it again. You know, we're just going to do that same thing. We want you to be able, basically, we, basically the idea of on demand was, was created by them. It's like, let's, let's make it on demand. It's just that it's going to take us four hours overnight shipping to get you the DVD. And now it's like really on demand. You know, you can go and, 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 um, you know, pick something whenever you want to, to watch, but um, so that's a that's a, a great example of a pivot that really fit that really fit their their brand positioning their brand purpose, but you know there's lo you know lots of examples where that wasn't the case. Right. Yeah, I think I heard somewhere that a brand is basically just like a shortcut to what emotions and thoughts you associate with that company. So I guess it kind of has to fit within the parameters of that. Um, like I've always kind of wondered. Like, so Facebook recently becoming meta, like, I, I guess their idea was that as Facebook, we were connecting people in the digital world. And now as meta, we're going to be connecting people in, you know, the metaverse or, you know, whatever concoction of, yeah, it is. Um, if you could, if you could get in inside that mind and figure that one out. Right. Like that, that just doesn't seem to, to fit that same brand shortcut that I have with Facebook. So I've always like. No, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, and, and the thing I always go, first thing I say is what does the audience think of your audience? Try to be, you know, your, your customer, your consumer first. What is Facebook? I'm sorry. 
it is Gen X <laughs> and and millennial, you know, probably 60% women, but let's just say 50, 50, whatever, sharing pictures of their vacation and their and their frappuccino. I mean, <laughs> they're not in the metaverse. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Uh, you know, I think he wanted to lead lead the world into some new place, but again, that isn't what their audience is is doing or wanting, or at least a very very small part of them. It's really it's really sharing pictures and and connecting with old friends, and then of course you got the bad rabbit holes of the echo chamber on the left and right doing their thing. But but um, it's just it's just a, a weird pivot that lost the company i don't know 10 billion dollars or whatever maybe more of market value yeah and there was just recently the same thing with you know twitter is now x and there was a whole article yesterday in the times about x is x is associated with you know generation x and x was cool in 2000 and 2005 and you know that era um but how does that fit into what Twitter has been what it will become, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, just interesting thinking about how I don't know. Yeah. It could be, it could be somebody said the the whole brand is so toxic that just give it something else. You know, yeah. X Twitter. You know, maybe somebody I wouldn't even be surprised if somebody said just X Twitter now and like say, yeah. oh X, okay, X Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what are so to that point, what are the pain points that you go through when you're speaking with people who, you know, if you're suggesting here's what we should do. And then there's some disagreement within the company itself. How do you, as a fractional CMO, deal with the disagreement that might happen once you propose an idea? Well, before I would propose any kind of initial recommendation, I like to do what I call an assessment, you know, which is just, I mean, exactly what it sounds like, but I'll spend a few weeks talking to 20, 15, 20 different folks of the company, key leadership, uh, people in sales, people in product, people in, if there are people in marketing, even, even, even uh, customers or, or, um, you know, shoppers, audience members, um, and do some desk research. So my recommendation would initially be born out of what I'm hearing and seeing. I'd start with implications. This is what I'm seeing. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, especially as a consultant, um, you you know you can't make somebody buy something, and that that goes with products themselves as well. Um, but I will say, being a fractional CMO versus being a you know a, 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 a employee CMO, it's really powerful because you can have an immediate impact. Uh, you know, even more immediate than you could going into a company to work there because you're brought on to do a job you're focused on you know specific you know most important issues challenges options uh, problems and you're a lot less concerned with fitting in politics not rocking the boat for the, your first few months, getting a lay of the land. You're going in and you're saying, and, and you're being hired for your experience. You're being brought in to, for your experience. So you're leveraging your experience and saying, this is what I'm seeing. Um, so that's powerful, you know, and I, it, it's not always taken, but I think it's always received with, uh, you know, with a, a, a pretty, pretty open 
you know, open mind because it is a fresh view from somebody with, you know, with an expertise who isn't pulling punches because there wouldn't be any reason to. Right. So in other words, as the consultant or the outside voice, there is an element of salesmanship and marketing, the marketing idea itself. But for the most part, the understanding is that you're coming in and this is the particular reason why. And so that's how the, the flow of work is supposed to follow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, a, a big, a big part of, of this role, but really any role is finding and understanding the problem. Mm. A lot of time, you know, most companies don't really know what problem they have or what problems they should try to solve. Um, you know, once, once you have it, there are a million ways to solve it, or maybe not a million, but a bunch of ways to solve it. And I would, I would go so far as saying none of them are right or wrong. I think that there are probably some that are better than others. Uh, but once you identify the problem and then choose a good solution and line people up against delivering on that, you succeed, you begin to succeed. But when you don't really know the problem or you haven't defined it and then addressed it, people are not concertedly working and collaboratively, you know, working together to, to drive change around it. And that's what, you know, I, I can go in and, 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 or, you know, my partner, we can go in and you can actually identify a problem. And usually it's something that they kind of know but don't necessarily like to peek at or look at too closely, you know? Um, you know, sometimes you're brought in and said, you know, to do one thing and you can identify, well, we got to make some decisions around this. And when I say problem, it's not like, oh my God, you know, we're going to die, but it, it's like, we haven't made decisions. We haven't made these decisions. And because of that, we're wasting resource or we're wasting time or our work isn't building towards something because we haven't identified the you know with clarity whatever who our audience is who our ideal customer is and so because of that we're wasting time or we don't have alignment or we don't have a consistent um narrative for those people because we're still just frittering uh, you know across things and so that's often what it is it's like the problem is you know your story isn't quite right working because there are these problems with with how things connect or these decisions you haven't quite made or or maybe you've made a few decisions but they conflict with some of the other ones yeah gotcha um i'm not sure how like much you could share but what would you say is like the most exciting or your favorite project that you've worked on for a company? This is going to sound really cheesy, but like every, every project when I get started is my favorite project because it starts with something that I'm not, I don't know everything about yet. And I get to play detective, archeologist, uh, um, you know, doctor and ascertain what I, what I believe to be the key aspects, problems, things to work on, direction to go, and then begin to develop thinking around that. And it's, it's just really exciting and, and fun and rewarding. 
and then you know and then stuff happens and some of them i fall out of love with but <laughs> but they all they all start that way <laughs> yeah so it's always something new always something fresh like a new a new problem for you to to discover or solve yeah and that's the that's the exciting part is the solving it's you know and and like i said i don't believe that there's only one solution i don't believe it's like um it's like math where you're given a really hard complex problem and you can only have one answer and it's right or wrong i don't believe that especially in marketing but like i mean even in business in general i mean there are definitely better routes to take and there are certainly winners and losers but uh, I think a lot of decisions are let's make a good one now and go all in on it. Or, you know, once we make this decision, we can then a lot of other decisions we make will be easier. And that, you know, like, I think that's, that's how, you know, so, so when I say, you know, solving or problem solving, it really isn't, it, it isn't advanced math where you could really get, I mean, you, it's right or wrong, but, but nevertheless, it is still like you're solving stuff. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Yeah. So as we get closer to the end of the podcast, we like to ask the guests like the same, you know, four four questions. It's adding every podcast, but for now there's four. Um, so so for somebody listening today, like, you know, in, in one of our positions, they're interested in what they what you do, they like what you do, you know, how could they get involved? Like what what could a next step be for them? to get involved in marketing and yeah. in that world. Yeah, like a, 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 their career, your career sounds interesting to them. Like what, what could they do right now, sitting in college, shortly after college, some somewhere along that timeline? I would say, um, you know, first of all, obviously there are likely to be marketing and advertising and, you know, that kind of, that, that kind of coursework, I would say, take some of those classes. Um, I studied psychology in college and I didn't really realize how, how apt it was for, you know, the work of marketing, you know, trying to, you know, cause at the end of the day, psychology is trying to understand the minds and how the mind works at some level. Again, if you're a good marketer, the number one thing, and if I leave you with one thing, it's understand your consumer, your customer, your audience. Who are they? What do they want? What do they need? How do you communicate with them? What might excite them? How do you engage with them? And so, you know, probably taking some social science and psychology courses wouldn't be so bad, um, uh, you know, for, for, for that. And then I think there are a lot of great podcasts, um, writers, books, newsletters to just begin um you know, I, I, I like to think that, you know, marketing is about storytelling and it's about ideas and people like um, Malcolm Gladwell and Seth Godin and people who, you know, yes, some are more overtly, you know, talking about the work of marketing. That's certainly what Seth Godin does. But um, I think Malcolm Gladwell is somebody who peels apart a problem and finds interesting solution to it. It's kind of like what you do as a marketer. Uh, and then there's tons and tons of great resources for marketers. Uh, you know, I would literally just Google, you know, Google marketing newsletters and, you know, start reading some of them. Yeah. Have you read uh, Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari? 
Say who, who again? Ends is by, by this guy, Yuval Noah Harari. I have not, but I have heard of it. Okay. Tell me in a nutshell what's about. Yeah, basically the one sentence synopsis is that what separates humans from all other animals is that we're able to believe in stories. And that can be money, religion, nation, whatever. Um, so I think that would also be kind of an interesting baseline about your telling stories as a marketer. Yeah, no, I, I love that. Yeah, at the end of the day, marketing is storytelling. I mean, and I don't mean like, oh, start, finish story. It's just everything is about how you how you tell the story. And, and you know, there, I've read other things where, you know, they'll, they, they describe how basically story is how humans, like I guess this book, uh, understand things. And, you know, the first stories around a, a fi uh, you know, a fire uh, that brought people together, you know, telling stories and and we still we understand stories first and make rational distinctions about choices after you know they so you make decisions emotionally born out of some sort of understanding storytelling and then you rationalize it with oh these are the reasons i made those choices right right yeah okay so then so one of the other questions that we try and collect from all the guests is how would you define success I would define success or I define success in have I made an impact? Have I driven some sort of success for my clients, customers, partners? And have I, do I get a positive response, a reaction, a recommendation? Uh, would they call me again? Would they say that was great? um yeah yeah and so what about what about personal success in addition to the business success personal success to me has always been having a full life um and that starts with having lots of friends and doing things and not sitting around on your butt um, my kids, when they were growing up, and they still say to this day, and as I've told you, they're both quite a bit older than you, uh, they, they know that I would always tell them the two things I hate the most, and I still do, the two things I hate the most are laziness and lying. Mm. And so the laziness thing, you know, just, uh, you know, I think success is staying active, being interested being curious uh, and, you know, staying up to date. I think, yeah, I always want to be intellectually young. Yeah. I, I like that. that. Yeah. I like that a lot too. Yeah. Um, so I guess the last thing that we've been asking, um, do you have any feedback for us? It's kind of like keeping along the theme of learning out loud. We want to share that with our guests. Like if you have anything for us. Yeah. I think a lot of the things I've said, already i think remain intellectually curious uh you know i think i've always been a little skeptical which i i think is is natural to me but is is also good in that you're not just going to jump into every new fad like the meta metaverse for example but um but don't be so skeptical that it keeps you from doing things in other words be open be open to change 
be open to new ideas. In fact, try to learn about them a little bit. I went to see Barbie the other day. Like there are probably a lot of people who would say, what the hell were you doing as a, as a dude going to Barbie? But I wanted to see, I wanted to see what it was about. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm richer for it. Yeah. <laughs> a, li a little, a little yeah. richer. Um, <laughs> and then I would, I would also say, don't be afraid and don't be defined by what others think, you know, and I'm not going to be so sugar, sugary and sappy to say, follow your heart because you should follow. If you do follow your heart, make sure you, you know, where that it's going and that it feels like the right thing to do. But I just mean like, if you're into something and others say that's ridiculous, don't let that define you and don't let that, you know, stop you. And, you know, the same thing with, if you, you know, in your career, um, I think you should, you know, I think being purposeful and thoughtful is smart, like to know when you make a decision, what it might mean for the next decision, because at the end of the day, your career, whatever job you take will not be the last one. Um, so don't feel like this is the last one and I have to make the right decision. However, know that this pivot, you know, your pivot idea, like if you get start to get defined as the X guy or the X gal, it's, you know, there are some tougher pivots, but at the same time, not, you know, nothing is the end and nothing is, you know, final. So don't, don't, don't worry about just either conventional approaches or what others think. Thanks for listening to this episode of Learning Out Loud. If you found anything useful, please share with a friend to help us grow. We'd also appreciate it if you could rate us five stars on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll catch you next week with a new episode.